atmosphere. I can't tell you how, how powerful these street games are when we go into these areas and people start running up to us and they say, we've been waiting for you to come back. You don't understand. You know, just lighting up the air. We have seen some miracles happen on the street and we have seen demographics change in powerful ways because people just wanted to show up and walk into someone else's pain and get out of our comfort zone and begin to um, begin to go like Jesus did. Jesus never set up at temple and said, go invite all your friends, go invite them. I'm going to be here on Friday night. We're going to have a big barbecue Come out. No, Jesus walked the street and went to the hurting and went to the broken and went to the people. And if we take that example, we begin to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in a whole new way, and it is absolutely addictive. From the nonprofit organization Orphan Aid Liberia, this is the Love Period Podcast, a show about the stories of leaders, creators, groundbreakers, and pioneers currently leading movements or organizations who have a focus on serving other people who at some point had to lift up their anchor, step out in faith into the unknown to get them where they are today. I'm your host, Jacob Burson, and on this episode of the Love Period Podcast, we talk to author and speaker Kimberly McDevitt, the founder and president of Sunrise Ministries in Ackworth, Georgia. There they serve and are the hands and feet to the broken and offer a path of hope for those exploited in sex trafficking and freedom from the traps of life's addictions from a past of suffering. The range of services and support they provide is truly amazing. The path to recovery and restoration they provide is remarkable, truly unbelievable. The things you're going to hear on today's podcast, this episode, are very gritty, very, very gritty stories and are something that we all need to hear. Kimberly's story and her leadership with this organization at Sunrise Ministries is truly unbelievable. So join us today in this conversation with Kimberly McDevitt. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Love Period Podcast. We have Kimberly McDevitt on with us today. Kimberly, how you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. This You're one of the people most recently, um, somebody kind of told me about you guys' story and then I realized may have done some work with one of your clients or somebody in the past. And then yeah. when I, we were able to talk, just an unbelievable story, what you guys are doing at Sunrise, Sunrise Ministry. So I'm really looking forward to chatting today. Oh, I'm excited. I Thank you so much. That's, those are kind words. I really appreciate that. All right. So what we do here a little bit, we, we kind of start with a rapid fire question segment. It's like uh, stretching sure. stretching before the chatting. It <laughs> sounds good. I'm it, ready. It clears my brain out personally. I don't even know if this is for the guest more than it's just, this is just me being selfish. <laughs> I get it. I'm, oh yeah. No, I, I get it. I'm right here with you. Okay. So just got a few questions. Don't feel the pressure. Yeah. Just stretching out. All right, Kimberly. Okay. What was your first car? Oh, Mustang, Ford Mustang, 1969. It lasted for all of six months because I somehow missed in driver's education that you hydroplane on wet roads. Yes, true. So, yeah, going to school one day, hydroplane 360, three times, ended up in the ditch, crashing a farmer's fence, and um, my dad took my car. Six months, I had a Ford Mustang. Mm. It was probably yeah. a fun six months, though. Oh, yeah, it really was. <laughs> it really was. Yeah, I hydroplaned. I was 17 and hit a school bus head on. Luckily, oh. luckily, the, luckily the school bus was stopped. So, Oh, <laughs> no I, it, kids were injured in the second. No kids were injured in the activity. So. <laughs> oh, my goodness, that's crazy. All right, so 
How about a childhood moment where you were scared the most? Well, you know, keeping in with kind of a lighthearted being scared, because of course there's a lot of fear that isn't very funny. But um, with a car, I was 17 on my way to trigonometry class. And if I got tardy one more time, I was going to get in school suspension, ISS. And I was like, oh my goodness, can I have it? Middle of winter, Minnesota, icy roads, steep snowbanks, and I took off flying. Now, I didn't have my Mustang at this time. This is my second car. But I was going down the road way too fast. And if I hadn't learned about what water does, ice is worse. So ice, I, my car flipped up on its side. So I am literally driving on a, like on a snowbank. So my car's on two wheels right in the snowbank. That's probably about six feet, seven feet high at this point. And um, I didn't have a seatbelt on. And I lost control of the car. Um, my whole body went crunched up into the corner of my car because it's on its side. And I just remember thinking, this is it. And I just cried out, God. I need some help. And at that moment, I felt the weight of like a hand or something pushing my car along the snowbank until it got to a cross street where the snowbank ended. My car went back down on four wheels. My hands went back on the steering wheel. I sat back in the seat. My foot went on the gas pedal and I drove to school. Now, I will say that that truly terrified me, but I pulled into that parking lot. I was completely tardy. I walked into class. The teacher who I know she really liked me, but I was like 17 times tardy. She looked at me, she goes, Kimberly. And I said, I know, I know. And I just sat down. I had my little ticket that said ISS and I had to go to <laughs> ISS for the day. <laughs> oh, but ISS. I was alive. <laughs> ISS was the worst. Like it was the worst type of punishment that you could give a teenager at the time. The interesting part, what you just said though, was the snowbanks. Where did you grow up? Yeah, Minnesota. Uh, uh, well, I grew up like kind of, we moved around a, a, few, a few times, but that particular, I was in Minnesota. It was just, I think it was south of Rosemont. It was called Apple Valley. And um, from Minneapolis, St. Paul, probably about 20 minutes away. That's, yep. Yeah. So what do you think about us in Georgia when we, we close for the things that we do? You know what? You just, you have to laugh. I mean, <laughs> You know, they're really, I mean, it is what it is. It's like, but I get it. Like there's no, we had nonstop snow trucks that would plow streets 24 hours a day. I mean, right. so we, and uh, there was moments in my childhood, I remember opening the front door and it was all white. I mean, we were snowed in like that kind of snow. Right. So we don't have that down here. So we're really not equipped to do even snow dustings, but yeah, it is kind of comical. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're we're sorry. I just, you said the word snowbanks and I, I've seen them on TV. <laughs> yeah, they're great. Like, oh my gosh, as a kid, they're so much fun to play on. <laughs> All right. If you could spend an afternoon with anyone, alive or dead, who would it be? Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Hands down, it would have to be Elijah because he has been my hero since I was five years old. I have, I have never wanted to be anybody except Elijah. As a child, it was crazy. I would spend all my afternoons daydreaming about standing in front of like the prophets of Baal and calling down the fire from heaven and then getting escorted by a chariot of fire. I mean, I would go in and I would just play it over and over and over and over in my mind. So everyone always asks me that question. I'm like, I know it's so dorky to pick like a biblical character, but it would have to be Elijah because I just 
I have always been in love with Elijah. The the thing about the biblical guys, when I always think about that, of I always and I always go back to this. I think about like guys like Elijah or Paul or John the Baptist. Like if I spend time with yeah. them, what yeah. would they what would they think about what I really do with my day? Yeah, like <laughs> I would be uh-huh. I would be embarrassed to tell them. <laughs> that that my cell phone signal. Gosh, I just can't get this. My U version app is not opening, right. and, I, and they're like, "What are you? What are you talking about?" All right, so here's where we kind of make the shift, the transition in the podcast. So each episode of Love Period Podcast, we have our guests. We want to hear that. We're looking for the story, that leap of faith, that lifting of the anchor mm-hmm. to leave the port, to stepping out into the unknown. Could you mm-hmm. tell us a story? Are stories of maybe one of the big moments in your life where you you made some kind of transition and you took a leap of faith or stepped out in faith into an unknown thing that you felt like God was calling you to? Do you have a story about that time? Yeah. Well, okay. So backing up just a little bit, just um, when I was a kid, the people who I just were very drawn to were the missionaries that would come home from Africa the Heagles that went to my church, Lee and Joanne Heagle. I just remember them and their stories of just God's miraculous power on display. And I'm living in suburbia. And as a kid, you know, and you have to understand, I had this obsession with Elijah. So miracles were very much like, whoa, really a big deal to me. So I would listen to these stories that these missionaries would have, and I would just ache for them. Like I would just want those stories. So, um, for my life, like I just did not want to go to heaven and still don't want to go to heaven and listen to everybody else's amazing stories and be like, man, you know, I really had a chance. Like, why didn't I step out? So, um, I have, you know, I guess that in life there's, you call them like adrenaline seekers, you know, those who are just, you know, wired to want that adrenaline. And that's kind of how I am with miracles, just wired to want to be a part of them. And, um, so, um, growing up anytime I had an opportunity to do something that was out of the ordinary man I was the first one in the front of the line raising my hand and you have to understand I was a very shy kid I was very insecure I really felt like I was had very little value in life but I was so wired to want to be a part of God's miracles that I was always like pick me pick me pick me I want to go and when I um was a going to college, you know, it was time to, to enter the next phase. And I just wanted to, to do something, but again, felt very insecure, felt very unloved, unworthy of anything. And, um, I just felt like (laughs) it was crazy, but I felt like God was calling me to go to Trinity Western university, which is up in British Columbia, Canada. I'd never been there. I'd never, I didn't know anybody who went there. And I literally filled out the application, sent it off, got accepted, loaded up my car, and I went off to school. And it was the first time in my life that I had, um, and I know this is just Canada, I can speak Canadian, do you know that? Like, I'm really, <laughs> like, it was, it was a whole other country. And I was like, oh my goodness. And God began to, to just introduce me to a whole new kind of thinking. And that is, let me just lead you. Let me just put the desires in your heart that you will then do. Don't think about it. Just just let me fill you with those desires. So I started realizing um, 
how God was working in my life. And so stepping out in faith and kind of having that moment, I know a lot of people have that, um, go through kind of a time period of, no, I can't do that. No, I can't do it. No, I was opposite where I wanted to do everything and would actually get so discouraged and so upset when everyone else would get the big call to Africa. And I got the call to bake bread for my neighbor, you know, and I would be like, why, why can't I be a part of that miracle? Why can't I be a part of that? So I kind of almost have a reverse um, kind of thinking in the whole stepping out in faith is I just couldn't get enough because God would begin to fill my heart with desires and I, he never failed. Like he never let me down. So I would begin to just walk in that. Okay. So Trinity Western at the time, when you make that transition from high school to college, you're going to Canada. What you're making that decision. Obviously we make decisions on our own. Is there any, what kind of support structure of people around you at the time? How, how does that you know, help you make that choice? Yeah, no, that's a really great question. And I will say that there were a lot of the kind of the leaders that were around me at the time were really supportive of it because they really saw it as a big step of faith and they were very encouraging. I will say my friends that were around me at the time were were the, the adversary, the, why are you doing, what are you doing? Where, what, who, you know, why would you go out there? You don't know anybody. Um, so I would say that there was a mixed bag of messages that I was getting at that time. And it was kind of like, who are you going to listen to? Um, yeah. So it, but I definitely had, um, Sunday school teachers, youth group leaders, um, that were extremely encouraging and, um, and really just, uh, just really supportive of me. And it wasn't even that that was the decision they would have made and they were so excited and they loved that school. It was just being supportive of, you know what, this is what God is calling you to and you just need to do it. And it was about, it was about where I was at. And so I was really appreciative of that. Right. Yeah. It's, and sometimes even people who care a lot about you from my experience mm-hmm. that I've seen when you make these kind of big decisions, sometimes they can be the most negative voices the people that are sometimes the people who are the closest to you. Yeah. And I don't know where that comes from. Sometimes I, if I try to think of times where I may have been a negative voice towards somebody, I, mm. I feel like that maybe I was casting my own insecurities and lack of accomplishment onto them mm. actually pursuing something bigger than I had the guts to go chase. Wow. I, wow. I, I may have just opened up a new podcast. <laughs> yeah, I was like, wow, that is really good. This like, is my counseling <laughs> session. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, that's- so, so something else I wrote down, you said that you were drawn to missionaries early, hearing that story, hearing their stories. And I, and I, when you said that, I was thinking back to times when I was a kid. And, the, you know, it's really interesting. You said, I've never thought about, um, you, you forget so much of your childhood. You really... Like to me, I can remember church just being this vague thing, and I don't really remember specifics. I remember a campfire during RAs. I remember, you know, playing football in the yard before we had dinner at youth group. But I also do remember missionaries when they came because it had Mm -hmm. to have been the stories that they were telling. So if you were, what I kind of wrote down, what I thought about when you said that was you were drawn, would it be fair to say that you were drawn to action rather than being stagnant? Oh, absolutely. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. That was, that just hit the nail right on the head because that was, 
anytime I had an opportunity to do anything, I would want to do it because I think all of us are just wired to feel like we matter, that we are important, that we have a place in this world. And I think sometimes our biggest struggle is when we become that stagnant, um, that the difference between being a conduit and a recipient and like a conduit like receives God's love and then pours it out. And it's like, we love because he first loved us and the versus being a recipient, which is where you just, you, you hoard it. And it's kind of becomes like the dead steep, like, you know, you just become stagnant water that just is full of tons of salt, but it's just, it's dead. It doesn't give life to anything. And, um, absolutely. I think that is 100% accurate that I, just never wanted to just do nothing and just be a receiver. That's a really good, I never really put it, thought about it like that, but that's really true. Have you ever, one of the things that you had said that um, when you saw other people be called to good things and you saw other people go on um, to maybe be called to the mission in Africa or to the big opportunity mm-hmm. and like you may at the time have been called or been doing smaller things in ministry yeah. Um, yeah. Do you think, do you think though that those small things were actually much bigger to building you to where you are today than maybe you realized at the time? Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. A hundred times yes. Like I absolutely see how every single little tiny thing that I did from changing a diaper to teaching a kid's Sunday school class, to baking bread for my neighbors, like doing everything like that um, was so, so important in building me who I am. One, it absolutely, if he had started me at, you know, a greater thing, if he had just brought me right up to the top of whatever mountain that he wanted to put me on, I think humility might've been a struggle. Like it really might've gone to my head that, man, I am pretty good, Right. but it is, I prayed a prayer years ago that God, whatever it takes, just humble me. And I know that that is an ongoing process, but man, do you know what? He brought me down to pretty much just, um, cleaning the dirt off floors. I mean, it was just, it was incredible how he had to teach me the value of serving and doing it wholeheartedly as if I was glorifying God Almighty by scrubbing dirt, by changing a diaper, by just filing paper, copying notes, like whatever it was, like all of that. But I was also in those times who was around me that the leadership that I got to be um, a part of watching. And believe it or not, some of the greatest lessons I learned was what not to do. And I was just trying to be faithful, but man alive, my whole spirit felt like a caged tiger. Every night I would just go and cry before God and like, why won't you pick me? Oh, well, Why won't you pick me? I'm I, I really trying to figure out what kind of sermon series exists that would really highlight the huge importance there is in changing diapers. And, mm, and how yes. that is absolutely a spiritual gift that's just as valuable and important mm-hmm. as any other. Yes. But we just don't treat things that way. And, all right, Kimberly, Sunrise Ministries, is that is one of the biggest missions right now that you're a part of. So tell us a little bit about Sunrise Ministries and what you guys do there. Mm, 
Yeah, no, thank you. That's a, that's a big question. Okay. So we are a ministry that, um, we really focus on working with individuals who are coming out of sexual exploitation, addictions, and incarceration. And we work with both men and women, but primarily women. And our whole goal is to see a life transformed. I mean, that is in a nutshell. Um, so we have outreach teams that we work on the streets in high risk areas and we work in the jails. And from that, we really begin to grow relationships and we begin to offer what we kind of like to say is a path of hope that um, can be tangibly walked on. Sometimes that is private scholarships to healing programs. And then through that, we stay in contact with the individual. And through that, we now have a transition home that we've opened up and um, that has come out of, we have had host homes where individuals actually take girls into their home and um, during their healing and transition back into back into being able to live life. And we have our own transition home. A second home has been purchased. We really want to open um, like a really large facility on some land for women and children. We know that that is a huge need for those coming out of the sex industry. There are very few programs that have the ability to take children with their mothers. And so often the, um, the traffickers intentionally will have children with these women because the children are not, they're not wanted, but they are used as a pawn and as a tool and as leverage to keep a girl captive. So we know that there's a need for women and children. And so we've got our eyes on some land and ultimately we want to build sunrise cafe, which would be an 18 month healing healing, sorry, 18 month work program at this cafe that we would again come alongside an individual and start filling in some holes because going from the street kind of into new life you can have a heart change in jesus and he can transform your mind but that does not equate to basic life skills like budgeting and being responsible and paying bills and conflict resolution in the workplace looks a whole lot different than it does on the street you know, little things like that. And then we also understand that even in that transition period, there's a lot of counseling that needs to happen. There's a lot of healing that still needs to happen in understanding new relationships and how to have them in a healthy way and boundaries. And I mean, I could go on and on and on and on. And so we really want to kind of park it in that transition what is often called phase three, phase one, directly off the street, out of a dangerous situation, phase two, long-term healing program, and then phase three transition. And so often relapse happens in the phase three part. And a lot of times, you know, from an onlooker's view, you could say, man, they had a chance, like they blew it. Like they just, you know what, everything was given. But the reality is the problem is so much greater because, you know, graduating from a healing program just you can get a piece of paper and be like man i know jesus he's so wonderful but the reality is learning to live life that takes a long time right and so that's where we really want to park our ministry is in that phase three and really start walking with people from phase one and we did we piloted a very successful safe house um, that has been put on pause until we can build it out on the land that we are looking at but um, we partner with other ministries if needed for a safe house 
but we really want to walk with people because we want to show people you matter. Like you are loved, you are important. And we are here to, to come alongside you and it's going to be ugly and it's okay. Cause we're going to do ugly with you because we know Jesus is going to take that. He's going to make something beautiful. And we want to know, let you know that you are not alone. You have to give it a percentage, but how new is it for some of these women to hear that, that they are loved like that? I can't say that I've ever sat in front of a woman and said that to them and have them say, I've been told that before. It's 100% new. I have never talked to anybody. I mean, usually at that moment, when I, when I start saying, or any of our mentors, not just me, but um, just so I'm talking from my personal experience, um, when I am sitting in front of somebody and I look them in the eyes and I will say to them, do you understand that the God of the universe who spoke this all into existence made you, loves you, has chosen you to be a child of his that has a plan and he wants to cover you in his protection. And when I start going on and on and on, I mean, at that point, they just break because they have never felt loved. They have never felt protected. They have never felt anything but worthless. And most of these girls that are coming out of sexual exploitation and addictions, they were the abused child. I mean, I talk to girls who their first abuse sexually sometimes happened at age three. I mean, Mm. that is trauma that so much happens and that we could go into a whole nother podcast at what happens when that kind of trauma happens in someone's life. Well, it's, but and here's what the, the, the question we had, I had earlier about you, the being called, not being called to Africa at the time or the big thing mm-hmm. and being called to baking the bread. Mm-hmm. That statement that you make though, in these counseling sessions, when you and your team have that conversation or having these conversations with these ladies and you say something that is as simple as God loves you. Yeah. That statement is as small as baking bread yeah. as it is as large as serving the entire, the totality of earth. It, it, it seems very small, yeah. but for that lady, it is, it is humongous. I think it's humongous for all of us. I mean, you're right. I mean, those are, it's so simple. The gospel is the most simple message on this planet and it is the most powerful life-changing tool ever. I think sometimes, and I'm, I would put myself in this boat sometimes where we don't quite, I don't quite under, didn't quite understand when people say sex trafficking of women mm-hmm. and we're talking the state of Georgia I right. can, for myself, before I became a little more educated on what that meant, I was all, my picture always was people, girls from women from other countries who somehow are brought here illegally some in some way, and that is who is the majority of the sex trafficking industry. Now, I have since learned that is completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, what does... Yeah. Just a quick sum, just a quick education for folks in Georgia. Now that we're so ingrained in it, what does that actually look like? Give right. us some kind of picture so people can kind of grasp why your ministry is so important. Well, um, just yeah, uh, some basic statistics that the FBI has put out: three hundred million dollars a year are spent annually exploiting 
an individual in the metro Atlanta area. Okay. Um, 91% of the minors who are being trafficked are enrolled in public school, which means the epidemic, there are 7,200 hits a month that are tracked of men wanting sex with children. Okay. Those are just the track statistics. This is just basic statistics, but what it shows you is that this problem is very infiltrated into all of our suburbs and all of our in our inner city but all of the surrounding areas 65 percent of the trafficking happens outside the 285 loop and um what that means is it's in our backyard and we have mentors that take girls into their church and they're identifying their buyers and it's not because that the churches are bad it's because of this problem is everywhere i talk with girls who are enrolled in public school, who are being groomed for trafficking or have been trafficked. They go to school during the day and they are being sold in the evening. This is a problem that affects our churches. It affects our neighborhoods. It affects our schools. It affects everything around us. When I'm going on the street team, I'm not going into the inner city of Atlanta. There are ministries that are already down there doing this. I am going into our suburbia areas and we are finding girls every single time we go out that are being sold. Your team, yourself, your, your people who are, mm-hmm. who have been in this helping you guys out with the ministry. Do you have the ability to identify sometimes even without words when you're out either in public or in different places? Could you look at a girl and go, she's somebody we need to connect to? Yeah. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it, it's not um, it's not that we have any special skill other than we are in tune to what it looks like. It's just, I kind of always equivocate it. People ask me that all the time. I say, it's kind of like when I bought my, my current vehicle and it's an infinity. Um, I don't know what it is, but it's a, it's an infinity. I had never seen the car before, but all of a sudden, as soon as I started driving that car, man, I saw them all over on the road. I was like, where did these cars come from? Like, have they always been on the road? Like I've never seen them before, but now I know I've got one. I see them all over. And that's kind of what it's like is once you have been around it, you realize what you're looking at all the time. I've got team members. We've got team members on Sunrise that they're calling me and they're like, "Um, I'm at Walmart right now. There are some girls like right here. I mean, it is at gas stations. It's at Walmart. It's in the grocery store sometimes. I mean, you just, these girls are almost hidden in plain sight. And the traffickers that are in this area, they're, they're very bold. I mean, they do not operate. They do operate in the shadows, but at the same time, they're very open. We have men who go to churches and are shown, they're, they're trafficking hundreds of women over the years and they're showing up in churches and they're, they're just, you know, sitting down like everyone else. I mean, they just, um, they're not trying to hide. Trying to come up with the words where the next questions are hard knowing it's just, it's just when you, when I first became a little tuned in with what was going on a few months back, a little about about a year ago, it's just really hard to, to put together the words. But so in the military, we had a, the word that we had was situational awareness of, you know, we'd go to training to always know what's going on around us. What you're describing, it feels like the, not just the church, but the public in general, we need some 
to engage with ministries like yours, we need to educate ourselves and also be formally educated so that we can have that situational awareness in our communities so that we can begin to make a, a, a dent to, to shift this. Yeah. How, how, do you, how, does, how does that happen? Oh, that's such a great question. And it's a question we talk about all the time. You're right. Our churches, our youth ministers need to be have a, an understanding of what is in their youth group. Our schools need to have an understanding. That is actually our biggest, one of our biggest areas we want to go is start getting into high schools and start going after the at-risk or the already emerged into it um, individuals that are. But the, the reality is we need to understand what we're seeing and, and all of any kind of addiction or sexual exploitation is very rooted into brokenness. To really start um, identifying the girls that are at risk and the girls that are already being sold. Um, we know that they're out there. We know that they're in schools. Um, but the reality is we as teachers, as educators, as youth ministers, as pastors, as people who have children who know children, I mean, there are eyes everywhere. And what we really start needing to, to do is start being in tune with what brokenness and hurting looks like, because brokenness and hurt and um, that whole world, it breeds addiction and addiction breeds sexual exploitation so often. I mean, they go very hand in hand. And I, if I had time, I could walk that road with you. But um, the reality is, we need to start stepping into other people's pain, especially when it's a child. So part of it, I believe, is we need to figure out how to be able to engage it. But I think the other thing that we, we struggle with is we are so busy in our lives that we are not available to be present. We need to be more engaged. Our lives are too busy to engage, so we have now disconnected. We, we're not building relationships um, and we're just not available. We don't have the margin in life to, to, to slow down just a little bit to then absorb some kind of being able to be aware of our surroundings. How do the people who want to be a part to help with what you're doing, how do we, what, what, what is, what's available to educate us, to get us tied in to being aware, to knowing what's going on, to try to help? Hmm. That's a big question. Um, so I, I kind of just to, to break down um, that question a little bit in just uh, wanting to be aware of what's going on. That can be done in just like an educational kind of format. And people can then take that information and then begin to build it in their own lives. If we're talking about wanting to be a part of the ministry and what we're doing, that is, um, that's a really good question. And we definitely want to grow. And in that, we need anybody and everybody who wants to be a part of that, whether you have gifts in leadership or you have gifts in being the support of leadership. And we want to grow teams that are going into the high schools. We want to continue to grow these street teams. My goodness, we want to cover all of the areas, like every Saturday. I mean, that is our ultimate goal is to see churches begin to own their own Jerusalem, understanding that sexual exploitation is happening in their backyard. And when churches begin to own that, I want to see these street teams, not that Sunrise has to, to run every street team. We can equip churches to run their own street teams and begin to 
to begin to penetrate and then begin to build relationships that ultimately begin to change the atmosphere. I can't tell you how, how powerful these street teams are when we go into these areas and people start running up to us and they say, we've been waiting for you to come back. You don't understand, you know, just lighting up the area. And we have actually seen, not that I can get into on this podcast, but we have seen some miracles happen on the street and we have seen demographics change in powerful ways because people just wanted to show up and walk into someone else's pain and get out of our comfort zone and begin to um begin to go like jesus did jesus never set up at temple and said go invite all your friends go invite them i'm going to be here on friday night we're gonna have a big barbecue come out no jesus walked the street and went to the hurting and went to the broken and went to the people who were living in sin. And if we take that example, we begin to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in a whole new way. And it is absolutely addictive. Um, but uh, the other things that we desperately need are people who are willing to do long-term mentorship, being willing to walk with somebody through a long period of life and ultimately have a relationship that lasts forever. It's just your your involvement over time becomes less and less and less as somebody becomes more and more stable. Um, but we need mentors. We need volunteers. We have such a need for volunteers that just want to drive a car. Um, we have prayer needs. Oh my goodness. I will take prayer over dollars any day of the week and 10 times on Sunday. Power in prayer. This battle starts in the unforeseen world that our battle is ultimately against. And we need prayer warriors that will just say, I am not ready to leave and go to the street, or I'm not ready to engage in someone else's life face to face, but I will put my knees down on the ground and pray for an hour every single day. And that is so powerful. Like, I will tell you that the power of prayer is exponentially more than we can even possibly fathom or imagine. So that is something that's huge is we would love for people just to say, we just want to cover you in prayer. That's all personally, um, as a team, uh, but also the girls and those who are, we are yet to even to find, we need prayer over God, send us to the next person, send us to the one who feels forgotten, forsaken, alone, abandoned. Let us find them. Because you said it earlier, I keep writing down "call to breaking bread," "call to baking bread." <laughs> while it's while it seems small, mm -hmm. just praying with somebody. Somebody thinks, "Well, I can mm -hmm. do that." That's but that's not near as big as. I just I want people to understand how important that it really is. is and how valuable that yep. really is. So that the person who the the in your local here to to Kennesaw mm -hmm. Ackworth Northwest Georgia area, so that the person listening to this podcast who wants to engage directly with you guys can know that they can go plug in. But the person in Gainesville, Florida, mm -hmm. who is in a different place can also connect to you guys. Cause I'm sure that you guys have built some kind of network connections that, you know, well, this ministry is currently operating where you're oh, at absolutely. that, mm -hmm. that what you have to offer is not invaluable and it's not mm -hmm. less than that. What you have to offer is humongous for these girls. And, for the and I really want to emphasize the prayer, like, I, I don't want to like hound it, but when you talk about baking bread and if only I can pray. When, first of all, I think that you can never put a price on someone else's eternity. Like if you could pray with one person in your lifetime, that's it. Just one that has absolutely 
you cannot even put a price tag on somebody's eternity. You just can't. And um, prayer is, I mean, prayer really is the work. Like I cannot, I cannot emphasize that enough. I remember I read something in Tozier. He said something about how he spent more, more time on his knees than he ever did in the pulpit because the prayer was the work. And I'm sure Tozer said it much, much better than that. But the, the principle of that has always stuck with me is that the work is the prayer. We can only do what we do physically because of the prayer that has already um, gone before and is around and covering. And so you know, I, you know, really getting people to commit to praying for somebody like in their own home. And then me, maybe it steps into, I want to pray with somebody in person. When you're saying that, and I'm kind of thinking about when just serving in my own capacity in different areas. And I think about the times of just mental exhaustion. That's something that I have put it on my list of something I've got to get better at. And that is, is praying. That's thank you. Thank you for that today. You helped me out. You're my counselor. (laughs) All right. So one of the things we talked about in one of our previous conversations, just um, I when I first reached out to you um, for a potential podcast, you had mentioned that you were down in Florida helping out with relief efforts for Hurricane Michael. Mm -hmm. Now, in my mind, I had something else painted. Could you tell us a little bit about what you guys were doing down there? Yeah. uh, um, And so this initially started because we got a call from somebody that said that due to the absolute devastation that there were people that were beginning to sell their children to the workers that were coming into the area to do the relief, that that was now the the inflow of money. Tourism wasn't happening. Oyster business wasn't happening, but there was workers coming in. So that was, those were becoming the new, um, that was becoming the money that was coming in. While you're operating in relief, were you also was there also the opportunity to kind of educate some of the people who live there uh, to to this side of the sex trafficking world that they may not have seen before? Oh, absolutely. No, I absolutely. I think that God completely drew out that which was done in darkness. It took a hurricane to do it, but he, he flushed it out. And now it is the whole, oh, wow, this really is in our backyard. Um, now what do we do? And uh, so that's kind of, I mean, we honestly, like we're still, we're still praying through that. Um, and we're still trying to understand what our role in that is. Is it an educational role? Is it, you know, we can supply resources. Is it connections? Is it beginning to grow a team? You know, what we're talking about our next teams that we are kind of starting to put together that will be going down there again to continue the work that was started. But I mean, honestly, we're still in that stage of, okay, God, here we are, here we are, send us, we're here, whatever it is, the answer is yes. Just tell us what it is. These different leaps of faith along the way in life from going to college in Canada to leading children's and women's ministry. And did you ever, when you took the step at any point in your life, did you ever envision where you're at today? Um, no, actually my entire life I've spent thinking I was going to be in Africa. Um, yeah, no, not at all. And I knew I've always been drawn to brokenness. Like I kind of said, I think a while ago, like I've always been drawn to the kids who were being made fun of in school, the ones who had no friends, the ones that actually looked like they were just in pain. I mean, I've always had this like 
um, magnet kind of feeling to those people whose eyes reveal the emptiness of their souls. Um, it was very recently in my life where I started just begging God, get me out of the walls of the church. Not that the church has anything wrong with it, but my heart is beginning to ache for the ones that I cannot and have no ability to reach. And I don't even know where they are. And I don't know who they are. And I just know God that there are people out there that are not here in the church. I want to minister to them. I want to go to them. And I just began to cry before the Lord, just send me because they're out there, but I don't know how to get to them. And I started having this overwhelming desire to be involved in human trafficking. And at the time, I mean, I'm picturing overseas, you know, smuggled girls in because I had just, I was leading women's ministry at the time. And we had done a baby shower for a girl who was literally smuggled into this country and held captive and she escaped. And, um, so that was my first exposure. So that was my mind. That's what I'm picturing was her story amplified. And what God did was begin to, um, to grow up my understanding of the whole sex industry that was in my backyard. And I immediately, the first thing I did was, um, there was another ministry and I just signed up to be on their prayer sign. And yeah, I will pray. And then I said, okay, what else? can I do? What else can I do? And I started just getting involved in volunteering. And, and that, that's when God really began to grow the vision for sunrise. Um, because I started meeting people that were in my backyard that were, when I would show up on, the, um, to do any kind of street outreach and I would have people coming up to me, these just big men coming up to me going, are you praying with people? And I'm like, yes. And I think I'm getting beaten up for Jesus today. You know, I mean, I'm ready to take it. And um, then all of a sudden they're like, because I haven't eaten in three days, I've been living in the backseat of a car. I do not want to sell drugs anymore. Would you please pray? Because I don't know how to. And I'm leading men to the foot of the cross because they don't want to live the life of being a drug dealer anymore. And I started to say, what? Not everybody makes these choices voluntarily. You know, and I'm thinking, oh my God, Gosh, that just blew my mind. Like you, you want a new life, but you can't get there. Do you realize that somebody who does not have a birth certificate cannot get a driver's license? And if you do not have a driver's license, you cannot get a birth certificate. So if you have neither one of those things in your possession, you are off the grid and you basically, it is impossible to get on the grid. So there are people in our streets that want to get on the grid and they want to do right, but they have no path. And that's when Sunrise, the whole idea started with these cafes building Sunrise Cafe. And we really have a blueprint we want to take across the country. This is not just for Georgia. We want this across the country. Um, and then through that cafe, even though it's not built yet, that's when God began to grow the human trafficking element of safe houses and transitional homes and healing programs. And we really began to find that niche of that's where God was really using us. Um, but yeah, no, when I, at no time other than recently, did I think, at any point was I going to work with human trafficking? How important do you think be, just being willing to be, av first off, how important being willing is and how important is it to just being available? Oh, that's, those are two, that's really good. I think everything, because I think God's already got it all planned. Like he doesn't ever start a work he doesn't finish. And if you believe his word, which he says, 
I am in, in your book is written every day of my life before one of them came to pass, which means God has already got our tomorrow. It's already written down. There's no blank pages in our book. It's all done. So if we just show up and we believe that we were created in the image of the almighty God of the universe for a plan and a purpose that only he knows, if we give him our lives and are obedient and willing, but then we also make ourselves available. Cause I think those are two parts. It's, it's interesting that you put that in two parts. I think the willingness to be used by God and just believing, do you believe God is who he says he is? Because if you do, you'll go. Because the only reason we ever hesitate is because we really don't believe God is who he says he is, or he couldn't possibly do it. Or, you know, if we believe who God is, who, who he says he is willing to go. Yes. Whatever it is, because you've already got the plan and it already means success because you will never fail. But being available, because I think the busyness of our calendar, sometimes it's like, you know what? My kids have this today and we've got that. And, you know, maybe next week I'll show up for that one thing. And no, we absolutely have to say, what are, who are we living for? Are we living to please our life here? Or do we really, really believe that eternity is our true home? Because if we really believe eternity is our true home, we are just kind of on vacation now. How much time do we really want to spend building up our vacation rental property? Because we don't get to keep it. That's good. While you were talking, I thought, you know, I'd kind of had those two things in, in their own little bucket being, being willing and then being available. But then as you were kind of describing that, I, I, maybe those things actually are, they, they are not separate, that they are actually mm -hmm. together, that if you are truly willing, then that means you are available. If you say that mm -hmm. you're willing, but then you also on the same mouth say you're not available, well, then are you really truly mm, willing? That's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's I'm glad. Yeah. You, see, these things go both ways, these <laughs> podcasts. I, I, uh, <laughs> every time I get to cheat and talk to these people that are you, people like you're doing amazing things. And I'm like, this is fan, This is great because I'm absorbing this tremendous, um, just these folks like you with the, just these great stories of stepping out in faith and being able to pour into the lives of people who, who feel like that they don't have the skill set mm -hmm. to go do what it is. Uh, to go do big things. I can speak for myself too. When I look at other people before I kind of stepped out in faith, I looked at other people who were doing these things as if they were superstars who had already mastered and unlocked some key, <laughs> either leadership or ministry. Yeah. And I heard you laugh when I said that because it's unanimous across the board yeah. that nobody we've talked to yet has said, oh no, I, I didn't have any of this figured out. I just kind of stepped out and then along the way things happened. And to be honest, like I still sit in meetings all the time with a bunch of leaders in ministry and I still feel like those are the big kahunas. Like I'm still like, <laughs> I am just as um, susceptible to believing that God is really, I mean, he's really using them like, you know, um, and wanting yeah. more and just feeling very little. And, um, and then I just, you know, it's so hard. It, the enemy is so clever and he will lie and get into us so many different avenues. But the orientating truth is, do we believe God is who he says he is? Because if we do, then it doesn't become about us and it doesn't become about our inadequacies and it doesn't become about what we are not because we are everything. If we believe that the God of the universe, we are the child of the great I am, we are the bride of Christ, and we are the temple of the Holy Spirit.
how dare we ever feel like we can't do something? Nearly verbatim quoted one of our previous guests, Mike Lynch, said the same thing. Do we believe God is who he says he is? And then, <laughs> yeah, that's, gosh, that's so hard. It's like, like you can say it, but it's so hard to kind of then make that switch of like, all right, I, I'm going to be faithful in this and, and chase yeah. it and know that I'm weak in these areas and then believe that God's going to sustain. Um, I, I don't want to be remiss in thinking that there isn't brokenness in our churches because I think, I mean, part of what I do when I speak in churches and to specific groups is I want to talk to the people there. It's not just about the brokenness that are, is in the streets. The reality is we are broken. And there are reasons for that brokenness that are, you know, a lot, but the reality is, is we are hurting as a church. We are hurting as the body of Christ and we are hurting um, and broken in our, in our own uh, mistakes and things that have been done to us. And the reality is, is, you know, God wants to heal that too. Like God doesn't just say he's going to go after the lost sheep who's in the, the captivity pen. Like he's going after the sheep, like you and I that sit in churches every week that have pain, that we are train wrecks. Like, is it okay to say I'm a train wreck, but I'm a train wreck that Jesus is putting back together piece by piece. Stepping out in faith is living in the freedom that we were given at the cross and being able to let Jesus pour into us that we, we can then pour into someone else because, um, that that is that is uh, that's who God created us to be is just a, a conduit that we love because He first loved us. Love covers a multitude of sin. Perfect love casts out fear. I mean, it all goes back to one thing, and that is that's love. That is love. Will we receive love so we can give love? That will preach, Kimberly. That will preach. That is love period podcast. You just came up with our catchphrase and slogan. We're going to put that. We're going to put the whole thing on the t-shirt. That that was fantastic. Yeah, that was, well, that was really, really good. All right, Kimberly here. We're we're wrapping up the, the podcast today. How can people find you online and find out more about uh, sunrise? Um, So we are online sunrise ministries ga.com we're also on facebook and uh, we do have an instagram page that we've done absolutely nothing with um hopefully soon we will have a social media person that can really take that on but we are um we are online and we we do have the facebook page um and shoot us an email if you are interested in wanting to be involved more we have jewelry that the girls make um, in our program, and we are always welcoming new places to be able to set up and sell it. So if you have a business that you would like to partner with us in just allowing us to sell it, that would be amazing. So just thanks for having me on today. I really enjoyed it and really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, we'll have all those links on our um, on the Love Period podcast blog, which is underneath the Orphan Aid Liberia website. We'll have links to, we'll have show notes, and we'll put the guys, we'll put Kimberly's um, that info on there, so you guys can stay connected. Kimberly, thank you so much. This was a, a great conversation today. What you guys are doing is absolutely phenomenal, um, and I know that people are gain, are going to gain some tremendous value from our chat that we had today. Oh, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. All right, thanks, Kimberly. We'll talk to you later. Okay. Another amazing episode of the Love Period Podcast. What Kimberly McDevitt and her team there at Sunrise Ministries are doing is absolutely phenomenal. 
please go online and check out more about them on their Facebook page and on their website for Sunrise Ministries. You can just take a little glance, just see what they're doing in the community for these people who are coming out of these the sex trade industry, who are coming out of recovery and addictions, uh, the employment opportunity opportunities that they are providing, the transitional housing opportunities, the long-term restoration care that they are providing is how people truly break this cycle. It's really phenomenal, and talking to Kimberly today was just, just amazing. I just want to tell you guys, we thank you so much for downloading this episode of the Love Period Podcast. Share it with your friends. If you haven't subscribed yet, go ahead and subscribe to us in iTunes and Stitcher. Also subscribe to our RSS feed as well. We hope today's episode was just one more little spark, one more spark to help light the flame of your passion because we need your help. There is opportunities to help all around us and we know that you were given a unique skill set and a unique gift that's only unique to you to do your part in what this world needs. We thank you for downloading this episode of Love Period Podcast. We'll see you guys next time.